Hello and welcome to the show about shows, San Diego Magazine's podcast about the performing arts. I'm Erin Glennie, editor of San Diego Magazine, and with me is Kimberly Cunningham, senior editor. Hello. And our copy chief, Dan Letchworth. Hello. And today we have Rebecca Johansson. She wrote a play that is going to be happening this Monday. We'll let you let her tell us all about it. It's Women at War. Super interesting. Thank you for coming. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. <laughs> well, first of all, catch us up, Kim. Let's let's talk about your stage notes. What's going on in the, the world today? Well, I'm starting to feel like this section should be called News from La Jolla Playhouse because basically <laughs> every week I talk about them, but they have if so much like going on. If you'd like to sponsor on. David M. at SDMag.com. <laughs> Hello, Pelican Group. We are talking to you. Uh, anyway. This is exciting. Uh, two uh, two Playhouse-born shows were recently nominated for Lucille Lortel Awards, which is celebrates uh, excellence in the off-Broadway uh, productions. Mm. So um, it was Paula Vogel's, let me just pull up my notes here, Paula Vogel's Indecent, and then John Leguizamo's play. Super excited about that, getting lots of great buzz. And, cool. You know, just Something keep, other than come from away to talk about. Yeah, they're turning <laughs> out great work, and anyway, I'm sure come from away will be nominated as well of course maybe for the Tonys next year uh anyway and they also extended uh escape to margaritaville everyone's talking about this show i feel like i've been talking about it every single week but it is like just so buzzy right now they extended it another week it's now going to be through june 25th and um and the show hasn't started yet so is that normal to extend it when there's still, or do they normally like, oh, sometimes. people like it, let's extend it. Or is it? Yeah, is yeah, yeah. Normal? It's pretty normal, especially if they see if their ticket sales the, going uh, through the roof ahead of time, then it's ahead. it's pretty normal. I actually used to work at La Jolla Playhouse a long time ago in their oh. marketing department. So, Oh, yeah. you know Becky. Uh, might have been after Hi, I was Becky. there. I was there a long uh, time we ago. love <laughs> Becky Beagleson at La Jolla Playhouse. And anyway, it's, you know, all some of the, most of the shows, I think, are already sold out. And people are having a hard time getting tickets. So it's just very exciting. And it's in our May issue, but, you know, we knew that it might be sold out. We still had to talk about it, so... Yeah, we actually had the inside track on the extension. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, opens May 18th and goes through June 18th. All right, Shockheaded Peter, May 18th. All right, well, everyone's a critic, and Dan is going to tell us what he thought of Into the Beautiful North. Yes, I'm back. I am back from my, my long sickness. You guys did a great job at holding down the fort <laughs> while I was out for two weeks. Uh, and when I was not here, I didn't get a chance to review The 39 Steps, which is at Coronado Playhouse. It's still playing. But instead of trying to fit two reviews into one podcast, you guys can visit the first post on my new blog, Everyone's a Critic, at at sandiegomagazine.com. And uh, the first uh, new post there, at least in a long time, will be my review of 39 Steps at Cornell Playhouse. And we'll link to it in our blog about the podcast. We'll have links to everything, including Rebecca's show. So go there. Yes, but my main attraction today is I saw Into the Beautiful North at the uh, Lyceum stage uh, by S.D. Rep. And uh, it's a story by, uh, it's based on a novel by Luis Alberto Urea, who is an award-winning uh, Tijuana-born novelist. And uh, it's about a group of kids from a small Mexican fishing village called Tres Camarones, who realize that most of the men have departed their town uh, to seek work up in the United States. So they go on their own odyssey uh, up north 
and cross the border and go to recruit men from Mexican men from the U.S. to bring them back across the border to their town. Oh, that's cute. It reminded me uh, in form, kind of, uh, it reminded me of Misty Like Hell from La Jolla Playhouse last year in the way that it's kind of a road trip story and they meet all kinds of uh, interesting characters on the way. Uh, but uh, it, it seemed a little bit more geared toward a younger audience because uh, it deals with some, with some real stuff, with some uh, potentially traumatizing stuff like there's the kids try to cross the border three different times, uh, going over by car, going through a tunnel, and hiring a, a coyote to, to sneak them over. And they run in, you know, with border patrol, with Mexican immigration, who is looking for people who are immigrating from farther south and deporting them. And it touches on some pretty dark subjects, but it also breezes by them just as quickly. Interesting. It, it, it's kind of, it, it looks to, uh, to touch upon a whole lot of different aspects of the, uh, the immigrant experience. And, but it does so in a kind of a lighthearted way, but without shying away from some sides that maybe some of the audience wouldn't have otherwise learned about. Was it kind of draining or you felt hopeful or how'd you walk out of there? It felt fun. It felt, I liked the message because uh, it, I don't think it's spoiling anything to, to say that they succeed in their, in their quest. And it's, uh, it, it's an uplifting message of seeing that all these men do want to, to, to they just want to work. They mm-hmm. just want to, to participate and to help their families. And so it, uh, it ends in this moment that brings everyone in the village together. Um, I was just going to say, so I was reading up a little bit about this play just just for in preparing for the podcast, and I was reading the UT's review, and he said it was really funny. And he was talking about yeah. uh, this like moment where the like a border patrol agent pulls them over, and he thinks it's a joke when she's saying, oh, no, we're actually going trying to bring the Mexicans back. <laughs> So, yeah, is there something like, I mean, you know, he said it had some, you know, some different. Well, and doesn't Trace Camarones mean like three shrimps? Yeah. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> so this, it's cute. It's funny. It's fun. It's, uh, it, you can kind of, t- I felt like because it was adapted from a novel, maybe the adaptation tried to cram too much in. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, it feels a little bit too breakneck pace mm-hmm. sometimes. Like there's several different subplots that all try to get resolved in maybe too little time. But uh, there's also these musical interludes. One of the characters, Vampi, uh, she's a goth girl who has a ukulele, and she, she just breaks into song now and then, and it provides uh, just a, a moment to just to break and to let the, the actual emotional stuff that they're going through sink in. So, hmm. Very cool. That sounds great. Well, and how long do we have to see that? It oh. is playing through April 23rd. April 23rd, Lyceum. Yep, and uh, I will have a... Full-length uh, written review of that on the blog as well. It's not up yet, but when it is finished, I'll put a link to it on the blog for this podcast. Excellent. Thank you, Dan. For more detail that I am too tongue-tied to get out <laughs> on here. <laughs> and it, he's a great writer, so you should just read everything he does anyway. Um, well, let's get to Rebecca, another writer. She wrote Women at War, which is having a staged reading at Ion Theater on Monday, April 24th. Ion is in Hillcrest mm-hmm. at 6th and Pennsylvania. And first of all, tell us a little bit about the play. 
Yeah, well, I I conceived of this play um, probably about seven or eight years ago when I met uh, a few women in the Marines here locally in San Diego who were a part of uh, something called the Female Engagement Team over in Iraq. And I interviewed, to start off, I interviewed the uh, a woman that ran PR for Camp Pendleton, a Marine, and she told me a little bit, gave me a little bit of background about the program. And they discovered about... Two, three years into the war in Iraq that uh, they if they went into a village, uh, the people there would not let them have access to the parts of the village that belonged to the women and they couldn't go into homes and particular spaces in homes to check them out uh, to see if they were safe because those spaces were reserved for women. So the military formed uh, what they call the female engagement team, which was teams of women that would go in with the men into these these very dangerous combat zones in these villages. And they would engage with the women in the homes, and oftentimes they would try to talk to them to gather intelligence, uh, to build rapport, to build relationships with them, to give the U.S. military a better reputation in the area. And uh, this was before the ban on women in combat was lifted, right? Yes, correct. Uh, but they were often because those lines of what is a combat zone and what is not mm. are are very blurry in those areas. Um, they were trained alongside the men in the infantry units and went in fully armed and ready for combat. And they, yeah. a lot of them did engage actually in um, some pretty intense situations. So I managed to get connected with uh, a group of women recently that uh, through the Women's Veterans Alliance that were part of a whole unit in the Army uh, that all served together. It was the first time there was an entire unit of the female engagement team put together, and they were sent to Afghanistan in 2012, 2013. Uh, So the play is a... It's not necessarily a direct documentary play. It does use a lot of their verbatim interview uh, material that I collected from them. So it is their stories, but it's also mixed with a lot of poetic language, uh, a lot of movement. Obviously, the stage reading is not going to show all of the movement, but we'll mm-hmm. tell you where it's going to be <laughs> in the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, my, my background is I've done a lot of work in the area of trauma and understanding trauma theory and performing mm-hmm. trauma. So there's a lot of moments in the play where we break away from, from the dialogue and, and explore trauma, um, the trauma that the women are feeling themselves from, from their experiences. Uh, So it's still evolving. I just got back uh, a week and a half ago. I went up and interviewed a bunch of the women again and got more material. So I'm madly trying to put that new material in before our reading so that the audience here can get a good feel for what the final product will look like. Oh, my gosh. I have chills. That was very cool. (laughs) So and then do you have dialogue between how did you deal with the language barrier? I mean... Uh, between if, if everyone's in, in the play is speaking English, uh-huh. yes, yes, okay, because they had translators, and I mean, they uh, did. Um, actually, several of the women were, um, they did go through uh language training themselves. And one of the women that I interviewed was actually really proficient in it, but she would still use a translator on a lot of missions. Mm-hmm. Um, her, her language skills were, were able to get simple dialogue back and forth, mm-hmm. but anything complicated, they needed an interpreter. Um, But I think what's really, one of the really interesting things about the play is that it does try to represent the women in Afghanistan that they Mm -hmm. met. And, but I think that, um, that the, as an audience, we feel that language barrier as well, because those women in Afghanistan can't speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. And so our experience of them is told through the eyes of these female soldiers that met with them and tried to build a relationship with them, um, sometimes Mm -hmm. successfully and sometimes not. Wow. I'm, I'm trying to picture how you would even stage that. And 
Whoa. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit more abstract when I do it. I'm mm-hmm. uh, when I perform it in the end of summer at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Um, I I can't afford to bring a full cast with me, so mm-hmm. I'm performing it all myself as a solo piece, and that's how I actually conceived of it when I started to actually dive into the work. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are very clearly four different voices in the play. So for the staged reading, you'll see four different actors um, performing out the four different characters. Um, so it'll be a little bit more abstract when it's just me performing all four characters. I'm still working with my team in London on how exactly we're going to do that. We don't know yet. <laughs> uh, but here, um, there with four actors, there's an opportunity for dialogue between them. And um, two of them I did interview together uh, at the same time. So they had some exchanges that I was able to keep in. And the third uh, woman, the, uh, a, th- a third woman that's there um, was their superior officer who they still keep in touch with. So it was like she was in the room with them and they would talk about her all the time. So there's opportunities for interactions between all of the characters. How do you imagine it'll play differently uh, in in Edinburgh compared to military San Diego? Ah, you know, it's really interesting because I've done some development of the play in London. I'm a member of the Young Vic Directors Network and they give you opportunities to, to work on some of your projects that are ongoing. And I presented about 15 minutes of it there last year and it was up for an award in London earlier this year um, that we came very close to winning. <laughs> and uh, what I found is they're very fascinated by the subject here over in London. They, 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 they're craving it. And I've spoken with the head of uh, new play development for the National Theatre in London. And I asked her because there seemed to be a lot of American plays making their ways to London stages right now. And I asked her what, why she thought that was. And she said, I think we're craving diversity. And mm-hmm. right now, America's writing it better than British playwrights are. Whoa. I've met some Brits that don't necessarily agree with that statement. <laughs> I've met some Americans that don't necessarily agree with that statement. Uh, but she said that anything that is showing uh, an alternate point of view, that's showing um, women, that's showing um, people from different uh, cultural backgrounds, is, they're craving it there. And I think there's a big fascination with it. I'm more nervous about showing it here in San Diego than I am in London because there is such a strong military community here. But I think that it's because these women, uh, the play comes out of their experience and their experience with the military is, I think, very even. Um, They very much love the army. They love Mm -hmm. the opportunities it's given them. Where the play is critical is where they are critical. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's a fair criticism. Um, It's not a play that I ever set out to be purposely critical of the military or of the war. Mm -hmm. I just wanted the women to tell me their story and see what came out of it from there. How did you choose the women? They reached out to me. Uh, I sent out a notice to the Women's Veterans Alliance, and I chose a couple of other uh, women's veterans groups uh, because I had a hard time getting permission from the Marines to interview Mm, the women that I had initially met. um, And I never got permission. I still haven't heard back from that application. But they did tell me, you're Mm -hmm. free to interview veterans. If they're out of the military, then we don't have to okay them talking to you. So I started reaching out to women's veterans groups. And one of the women that got back to me was the um, NCO that was in charge of this unit. So she sent out an email to everyone that she thought would want to talk to me. And I got several responses back. Um, there's still a couple of other women that I want to talk to. I just haven't had a chance to travel to their part of the country to do it. Um, and so at this stage, it's going to stay remain how it is with the, the interviews that I've taken. But if it expands and gets a bigger production later, then I might start incorporating some more 
some more stories into it. That's a lot of work. You're you're an oral historian. You're transcribing. You're it's almost like she had to put on her journalist hat, which is interesting. It's something that we talk about at the magazine a lot because you know we're San Diego Magazine, and there's such a strong military presence here, Mm -hmm. and we always want to do more military stories Mm -hmm. in the magazine. But they're hard stories to get. In my over my career, I've covered a lot of different things with the military, and it's really hard to get in there and tell those stories. It is. And so I don't know, did you have a hard time? I mean, as, as far as I, I, you just explained, but with the women that you talked to, did you have a hard time getting them to open up and really get was, digging to get the good stuff? I was stuff, really you know? nervous mm-hmm. going into it. And I actually had a long conversation with uh, a good friend of mine who is a journalist and he travels all over the world and interviews people. And, and that's his specialty is getting people to open up to him. And so he gave me some pointers, some advice on, on how to just uh, be there to listen to them, to um, have my questions really solid in my head, but not refer to any notes um, if I, if possible. To not be worried about if it goes in a different direction as my my questions. Just let them tell the story that they want to tell. Uh, and he recommended absolutely having a, a listening device that um, to record um, so that I didn't have to worry about taking any notes or anything like that while they were speaking. And it was really interesting because the first person that I went to interview for, for each group, I said, well, let's sit down and have a, a meeting off the record um, where I can tell you about the project. You can tell me um, any questions, ask any questions that you have about my intent or about the production itself or about the process. And, uh, and then I said, then we'll have a meeting the, either later or the following day um, that's on the record where we can have the formal interview. And the first woman I went to meet was this NCO who's now, she's now retired um, and she was in charge of the, the unit. And when we sat down for our informal meeting, I was incredibly nervous, but the very first thing she did, I asked her one question and she opened her mouth to start to speak, and she just burst into tears. Oh gosh! Oh, wow. and, My nightmare. <laughs> and I and I formulated really strong relationships with these women mm-hmm. really closely. Um, there are two the two others that I interviewed up in um, that were together up in uh, Washington State. They're actually married to each other. And I reached out to one of them who was on my list, um, sent to me by, by her commander. And she responded back immediately and said, yes, I'd love to talk to you. Let's, I, I want to share my stories. And she said, my, my wife also wants to talk to you, she thinks. She's not sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's a little hesitant. And um, when I got up there, I said, well, here, why don't we do this? Why don't we allow, your wife can be present when we're having the interview and if she feels like she wants to add to the conversation she's welcome to add to it if she doesn't she doesn't have to and she ended up contributing quite a bit Hmm. to that conversation um and I just went up and and met with them again and it's it's really funny because their personalities are so Mm -hmm. opposite the girl that I initially reached out to to talk to she's very open, very expressive, talks about anything that comes into her head to the point where after our, our last interview, she said, okay, so can we talk about a couple of the things that I said there? Because I need to make sure you don't actually include those in the oh, podcast. No. And I was like, oh, it's okay. It's I okay. do that all the time about the yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and then her, her wife is just very reserved and very held back and, and very official in the way that she answers. Um, so it's, and I, I'm hoping that that's reflective in, in the play itself because mm-hmm. their personalities are so... Um, profound and profoundly different from each other that I'm, I'm hoping to get that across to really humanize um, the women and, and let our audience, let my audiences get to see them the way I have. I always think it's hard to interview someone with someone else there, the publicists, they interject and, mm-hmm. they, and that's not how it was. And it's like, whoa, 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 stay out of it. <laughs> but I guess because especially a married couple, I mean, I correct 
someone all the time. <laughs> <laughs> add a lot of color. No, 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 no. You know, it was really interesting because um, they actually weren't. Uh, they were both stationed over there. They were just at different um, uh, bases when they mm-hmm. were over there, so they weren't together all the time. So they had completely different experiences, um, and whenever. Uh, one of them needed some clarification on something like they didn't quite remember something uh, uh, very clearly. They would just ask the other and um, and they would provide more detail for me because um, they were there. And but it was really interesting because they are a married couple. So the last time I went up to go interview them, they did get into a little bit of an argument <laughs> while we were in the middle of the interview, which is which is interesting because they had very different perspectives on on something that's um, that's going to be part of the the play at the reading. Oh, I love so it. So we're actually going to see them get into a fight in the, love in the play, an argument. <laughs> they were married before the army? Uh, they, no, they met in the army. They, the army. Um, okay. they were engaged, they got engaged right before they deployed to Afghanistan and then they got married the day after, um, uh, one of them came back earlier than the other. So when the second one got back from Afghanistan, they got married the next day. And there's, oh, a, cool. there's a whole story there by itself. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds so moving and so timely and just yeah. really exciting, brave, work yeah. so yeah congratulations. and good on you for diving into that material I mean I really hate emotional interviews <laughs> she's very uh I can't we don't talk about our feelings in my family so it's a problem <laughs> well the great thing is I need I knew it needed more light-heartedness to it so yeah. the last time I, I asked them some questions that deliberately led to some more light-hearted material so I, yeah, I there's good. definitely moments where you can break and you can laugh and and you can let go and oh, that aren't good. as serious as others um but I mean of course they 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 really experience some very intense moments over there and they felt free to share those moments with me. So those are going to be in the play. You know, speaking of London, I feel like there's a fascination with like, we're so Americans are so like, well, you know, the Navy, I mean, our egos are so, whoa, outsized. And it's like, you know, we assume that we saved the world and everything. And I, I do think that's probably fascinating to, people in London. Fascinating is a generous word for it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's really interesting too, because I'm going to be taking it to Scotland for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival this year. And the Scots have an even um, more intense uh, attitude, not necessarily toward Americans and American military, but toward um, our president right now. Um, So I'm I'm going to be really fascinated to see how the Scots react to the material. Uh, I think that there's there's um, there's a hardiness to the Scots, like a um, a real uh, ability to endure and um, to to persevere through adversity. And I think there's there's a lot of that present in the play, and I think that they'll really Mm. connect to that in a really interesting way. But they also are are very distanced and 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 have a different perspective on our politics. Um, I don't. I like to think that there's not that much that's terrible. Well, that's that's false to say that there's. It's not a political play. It's a political play, <laughs> but it's but it's political through a personal lens, mm-hmm. through a personal experience, and tries to humanize people that war tries to dehumanize. Mm. That is so cool. And just real quick, we kind of sped by the whole festival thing, yes. but you are performing in a church. Tell yes. us just a little bit about, paint that picture. Um, well, there are about 250 different venues at Edinburgh for the Fringe Festival, because um, there's also the Edinburgh International Festival, and then like there's one other festival there in August, and so there, there's a need for space. It's like our beer festivals. Sounds <laughs> <laughs> like they are really into that. But uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I think there's something like 2,500 different productions that, that come in. 
in. Um, I I was there last year as a as an attendee just to to visit. And a cab driver told me that the population of Edinburgh is normally half a million people, and during festival it jumps to a million. Wow! So, um, so getting a venue is actually wow. really challenging because it's the most respected, um, one of the most respected theater festivals in the world. And so I'm, I finally got in at uh, C Venues, which is a, a, a one of the top venues there. They have a lot of different spaces all over town, and I'm going to be performing in a small um, black box theater that's actually inside of a church right next to Edinburgh Castle. So that's it's so right on cool. the Royal Mile. It's right in the height of the tourist area. It's nice. right next to the Fringe office. So it's a really great location. It's going to be a 79-seat black box theater. So I'm wow. very excited. I haven't actually been in the theater, but the pictures look lovely. That's so, <laughs> that so cool. Well, what, congratulations. What is that happening again? Uh, Edinburgh Festival happens uh, 3rd of August through the 28th, and I'm going to be performing every single day for the month. I don't oh know what time gosh. yet. Uh, they haven't assigned the time slots. Um, but I'm also going to be performing, I just found out uh, this morning that I've been accepted into a festival called Women and War. So it, it made sense to apply for that. Uh, and it's a, a festival that's happening in London in the month of July uh, at the Applecart Theatre. And they it's, a, it's an all-arts festival surrounding the theme of women and how they are affected by war. So it's not just performances of theatre. It's dance. It's um, music. It's uh, visual art, um, poetry performances, all kinds of things for the whole month that they're doing there. So I'll have a chance to perform it for about eight performances in London before heading up to Edinburgh. I'm going to be in Edinburgh in the uh, first week of September. So I'll try to move oh, that up a couple of days. Oh, uh, yeah. Festival. Cool. It's fantastic. I, I was there for... Two, for two days in August last year, I saw six performances in oh two days. Gosh. And they're short. There's nothing longer than an hour in the entire festival, and they're cheap. There's usually only 10 pounds to go and go see a show, which is like twelve fifty or something like that, dollars. Uh, so it's cheap. It's easy. You can just buy a ticket and go right on in. <laughs> um, so cool. I was on my way in to go see something else, and a performer of another piece came and gave me a flyer, and it was re- looked really funny. So I went and bought a ticket and mm-hmm. saw that right after I got out of the other one. So it's a fantastic festival. It's full of new work. Um, lots of really great work gets its start there in Edinburgh. And if you can't make it to Scotland, you can see her in Hillcrest on uh, Monday, April 24th at ION. And and keep a lookout because it could be a full play. Right, right. This will be a little preview, a little snapshot of what's to come. I do have to say ION is not a very big theater, and Mm -hmm. we are already halfway booked with it. So Uh, um, We need an extension. (laughs) Extension. I have to say, a lot of shows that have been on this podcast have extended. Uh, Well, I wish that were possible, but uh, maybe it Maybe it will lead to a to a full performance sometime next year. But um, one of the ways that you can uh, participate in it, even if you can't get out to the reading, we've got um, a website is womenatwaretheplay.com, and you can access all of our social media accounts on there. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, where we have a YouTube channel. I'm going to be posting all kinds of stuff about the journey of the play through um, through the reading here in San Diego, through the performances in London, rehearsals and performances in London, and the festival. So if you want to follow the journey and if you want to donate to help get the production up and running in Edinburgh you can find all that out on our website very cool that is so exciting well I am looking forward to that great well, congratulations and Thank you. so we're just going to wrap up real quick with our hot tickets what else is going on that we have to look forward to 
All right. Well, I'm going to tell you about something that's happening next weekend, just because I think you all should mark your calendars and get out there. But it's happy birthday, Mr. Shakespeare. I've talked about it before, but I just want to remind everyone it's happening out in front of the Globe at the Globe Plaza. And I was just reading, I mean, it's developed since the last time I talked about it. They are going to have Sonnet Karaoke. Okay. Oh, this sounds <laughs> so awesome. And all kinds of cool stuff like life-size board games and, you know, everyone's going to be in costume and anyways, and a birthday cake for Shakespeare who would be celebrating his 453rd birthday. And that's, so that's next Saturday, April 22nd out in front of the globe uh, at 11 AM. Are they going to get Barry to do some karaoke? Some, some sonic karaoke. Barry, come on, you're on. Barry. <laughs> that's so great. That's cool. Interesting. And Dan, what, what else is up? Well, later that day, after you're done with uh, Sonic Karaoke, you should head on over to the Full Monty at SDSU. I've been seeing a lot of buzz about this. Uh, it is at SDSU's Don Powell Theater, the cult classic Full Monty, and uh, it's rated R for nudity, so I can't Yay. wait. College so kids, very going all. from uh, men in tights to men in nothing. Nice oh. weekend there. Okay. Never, never seen the movie or the show, so it should be, uh, should oh. be a fun time. Uh, spoiler, so they cool. shine a bright light, don't they? Nuts. At the <laughs> Nuts is exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, thank you for joining us. <laughs> and if you'd like to sponsor this podcast, email David M at sdmac.com, and everything else will be on sdmac.com. You can look for links. And go see Women at War. Play. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the theater. <laughs>